My name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Pastor Don is away. He's at Camp Barakal speaking. Let's open up with a prayer, uh, lifting up Pastor Don this morning as he preaches to teens. Oh, dear God, I thank you for the privilege of sharing God's word. I pray God right now for Pastor Don as he talks to teens. Sometimes a tough crowd, God, with a lot of confusion out there. I pray, God, that he's effective and that he gets it right and the kids can leave knowing you better from Barakel. And for Oakwood, God, I pray that what happens here this morning points to Jesus and leads people to Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. At the risk of sounding like my job is all I talk about, <laughs> yesterday uh, we said goodbye to our friend Kurt Graham, and I w- had the, the privilege to share a few words about Kurt, and I used a, a teacher analogy uh, when, when I talked that uh, about Kurt. I teach high school, and I talk to other teachers of other districts, and I don't ever take for granted uh, the administration that I have. Uh, I have a wonderful administration. My principal is fabulous. My assistant principals are wonderful, supportive. They support teachers. They support the kids. They try to do everything um, in fairness. And my principal is, um, he's not flashy, but uh, he's solid, and I appreciate that a lot. At the beginning of every school year, my principal will come up with a picture or a phrase, a video, something that will set the tone for the year. And in past years, um, some of the things that he's used, I think it was this year, he's been our principal for a number of years, so there's, there's been a lot of, of these things that he's come up with, but he, he motivates us, and he will, he's got a picture of a bird on a branch. And there's a caption there, and it says something like, the bird is not afraid of of the branch breaking because the bird's confidence is not in the branch, but the bird's confidence is in its ability to fly. So uh, that's the kind of thing that my principal will give us. And, you know, he'll use that and and, uh, challenge us and encourage us to, to help the kids to learn how to fly in school. A few years ago, he brought something to us uh, that I have really held on to and and appreciate. If we have teachers in the room, I imagine that you've heard uh, of uh, Carol Dweck. She's a researcher from Stanford, and she's a psychologist. And let's see if I can get, there it is. And she wrote a book. uh, So my principal brought this to us uh, as a staff. And Carol Dweck is the author of uh, Mindset. Now, a mindset is defined as a set of beliefs or assumptions that shape how you make sense of the world and how you make sense of yourself. It's not very impressive on the cover of it. If I go to the the bookstore, I'll see a whole bunch of self-help books, psychology, that look like that with a couple of colors on them. Ooh, boy. But what is in this is so powerful and so simple 
that I really am holding on to it, and I love it. Carol Dweck shares with us in this book that we, being adults or our students, have two different possible mindsets. And remember, a mindset is a set of beliefs or assumptions that shape how you make sense of the world and how you make sense of yourself. You can have a fixed mindset where your abilities are fixed. You're either good at things or you're not good at things. Or you can have a growth mindset. And in the growth mindset, you think that your talents are not stagnant. They can, can, they can be improved with practice and dedication. And I've given examples of uh, what a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset look like. Either I'm good at something or I'm not good at it. That would be a fixed mindset. The growth mindset person would say, well, I can improve my skills with practice. The fixed mindset would say, I'm already good at that. The growth mindset would say, I could always improve. And then at the end here, I wish I were as good as you. Or the growth mindset would say, wow, you inspire me. What, what, what do you have, uh, maybe what do you have to suggest to me uh, that I could help to improve myself? So with that growth mindset, we get, like she sang about in the song, the power of yet. I may not be do, able to do something now, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. big part of teaching is encouraging kids. Think of the teachers that you've had. And I bet all of us could think of a teacher or more, one or more, that has made a difference in your life. And I would bet that uh, that teacher encouraged you to grow. That teacher encouraged you to not be satisfied with what you have now, uh, but to, uh, to, to always be looking for ways that you can... Um, build your, your repertoire of skills, and hone your skills. And as a teacher, being able to steer kids into having a growth mindset will only raise their potential. And I know that. And so teachers are encouragers. And that's a big, big part of our job. I teach chemistry, and I've got chemistry content that I want to bring to my kids. But my goal for my kids is not so they leave Troy High School with this vast knowledge of chemistry, a lot of them won't remember any chemistry. By the time the day that they graduate, they might not remember any of the chemistry that I taught them. And I understand that, and I'm good with that. My hope for them is that they'll leave and they'll graduate. They'll have skills from my class that will allow them to, to tackle other problems that they're going to encounter. I want them to have a growth mindset. What I love about the growth mindset concept is we can apply it to every area of our lives. Of course, for students, that's very obvious. We can apply the growth mindset to our relationships. I'm very honored to have my family this morning. Most of my family is here this morning. I have uh, my wife, Kay, is uh, over on, on the side holding a cup of coffee. There she is. Since our firstborn child uh, was born, she hasn't been Kay to me. She's been Mommy. Uh, I've called her Mommy since Travis was born. My oldest Travis is here with girlfriend McKenna. 
My son Shane from Michigan Tech, he's uh, going to leave right after the service, go back up to the north. And my daughter Morgan. <clears throat> I believe my mom and dad are watching from Florida too, and uh, I want to say hi to you too, and I love you. I don't say this so that I can garner a round of applause, but I am proud to tell you that, uh, tom- not tomorrow, <laughs> Tuesday, uh, Kay and I are going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary. We've hit 25, so that's, that's super exciting. And uh, it, it is, it, it, it goes fast. If you're a young married couple, my goodness, it goes fast. Start having kids and uh, you get busy in life, away it goes. Kay is going to be available after the service for hugs. <laughs> if you see my kids after the service and you don't know them, go up and introduce yourselves to them. They're not very friendly. They can use the practice. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I never missed a chance to mess with my kids and, and uh, just, just rag on them a little bit. I think that's one of the keys. Our family, we have a really good time. We know how to laugh at each other. We can laugh at ourselves. And uh, we, don't, we don't take ourselves very seriously. And we've had, we've had some really good times. Thinking about the power of yet, I've got good news for you, Mommy. There's nothing that I can't do. There's only things that I haven't done yet. We can apply the power of yet to uh, our, our model of ourselves in terms of health and fitness. I heard Dr. Kevin Lehman say one time that he's getting furniture disease. You may have heard of this before. He says, once was what I'm... Once what was once on my chest is now in my drawers. And uh, so as we grow older, uh, we, we get furniture disease, and, and sometimes we might let it go. And I would encourage you, if you're thinking about that health club membership, or if you're thinking about, okay, what am I going to do to, uh, to get this right? Have a growth mindset. You may have gotten yourself out of shape, And I would encourage you, you're not in shape yet. You can right that ship. We can apply the growth mindset to our careers. If you're working, are you growing in your career? And that's not necessarily climbing the ladder. Growing in our career means, are you getting better at what you do? I'm a teacher, and I don't ever plan to go higher than, I don't want to go into administration. I don't want to work in that office. I love my office workers. But I think my gift is uh, their hands-on with the kids. But I don't want to get to the point where I'm doing the exact same thing over and over. I want to get better. I want to think about ways that I can improve my craft. Have a growth mindset. And of course, I would challenge us to have a growth mindset in our spiritual lives. Growth mindset is empowering. And part of growth mindset is not being intimidated Uh, by people who are farther along on the journey than we are. Intimidation can cripple us, and it can cause us to have that growth mindset revert back to a fixed mindset. It is easier in our lives to have a fixed mindset. It's easier. Does the Bible have some things to say about a growth mindset? I think it does. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians today, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Before we look at the text, uh, I'd like to give some background 
on the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a beginner's guide. So our veteran Christians, you're going to have uh, a, a pretty basic overview. But after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and then he went back to heaven, Jesus left no church. There wasn't a church after Jesus ascended back to heaven. It was going to be up to Jesus' disciples, uh, the people that were closest to him, to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to establish the churches. And Jesus' disciples, their title changed at that time. They no longer were disciples. The word disciple means student. They became apostles. They now had the authority of the Holy Spirit uh, to perform wonderful miracles and do things that they never thought were possible. We're going to see that word uh, apostle again uh, when we get into the word. Jesus didn't leave even a handbook for how to start churches or run churches. So you can imagine that with a new religion and new doctrine, the early church struggled. They struggled with allowing worldly things to creep themselves in. Popular culture could, would, would find its way into the church. And Jesus did make it very clear that we should be set apart. The church should be different. Shamefully, that's a struggle we still have today. The church should be different, but we're always having uh, the, the struggle and the battle with worldliness entering in. One of the apostles that was planting churches all over the region was Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was not one of the 12 that walked with Jesus as a disciple. But through a miraculous transformation, Paul became a central figure in launching the Christian church. Paul was the ultimate missionary. Paul went from town to town planting churches all around the eastern Mediterranean. He went up to Greece. He went eventually to Rome. He would stop in a town by guidance of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts even tells us that there was a time that Paul was planning to go to a town and preach and start a church, but the Holy Spirit clearly made it so that he couldn't do that. So Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, went from place to place establishing churches. And he would stay for weeks to months and sometimes years at a time getting a church established. He would move on. He would leave some leaders in charge and he'd move on to a new town, start a new church. A lot of the New Testament is letters written by Paul to his churches. Sometimes to encourage, sometimes to admonish because they may have not been doing everything correctly. One of the churches that Paul established was in the town of Corinth. Corinth is a Greek town. Uh, it's on the Mediterranean, so it's a coastal city. Paul ended up writing two letters to the Corinthians that made their way into the Bible. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians today. In the first part of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives specific instructions on what they should believe and how they should behave as Christians. But then throughout the second part of 1 Corinthians, Paul is actually responding to questions that were raised by a letter that the Corinthians had sent him. And we have evidence for that. If you'll take a look, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So Paul is obviously responding to something that the Corinthians have written to him. And then we go to chapter 7, verse 25. It says, now, about this, and that was something that they had written to him about. 
And then we go to verse, uh, not verse, chapter 8. Paul says, okay, now you asked about food sacrifice to idols. Here's what I respond to that. In chapter 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit. They had written to him about gifts of the Spirit. He responded to that. Chapter 16, now about the collection for the Lord's people. So the Corinthians, it was a new church. They needed some guidance. They needed some direction. So the Corinthians were writing to Paul. In the first book of 1 Corinthians, in the Bible, we see Paul's response. I mentioned that the uh, churches at the, at the beginning, the early church, was struggling with worldliness. Corinth, being a coastal city, was big and diverse. It was like a New York City kind of feel where ships would come in, there was a lot of diversity, a lot of trade, people from all walks of life. Paul arrived there, he started a church, he moved on. I believe that 1 Corinthians was written when Paul was at Ephesus. Another church that he planted, he eventually wrote a, church, uh, a letter to the church in, in Ephesus, the Ephesians. To say that Corinth was struggling with worldliness, in the case of Corinth, that was an understatement. Corinth was riddled, especially, I'm sorry to do this, but especially with sexual sin. It was prevalent in Corinth. It found its way into the church. And, I mean, that's ugliness. That's very difficult to reconcile uh, that how, how sexual sin, very outward um, prevalent sexual sin, would find its way into the church. Uh, but, but it did. They even asked about it. You, could, you saw on the previous slide that uh, that was one of the things they were asking about, the Corinthian church was, and Paul gave them guidance on that. Another issue that the church leaders were uh, getting wrong was the misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. Now, based on what Paul wrote, their question to Paul was probably something about which gifts would be most important? Back in the, um, the days of the Corinthians, it looks like the, the Corinthians were using their gifts to build themselves up rather than building the church up. This led to jealousy and controversy uh, in Corinth. Now, we all have gifts. We all have gifts that God has specifically designed us with. God gives the church what is needed at the time. Back in the days of the early church, God miraculously gave people the ability to speak in tongues. You may have heard of that before, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the ability to spontaneously talk in a different language, a language which you otherwise don't know. Sometimes the people that spoke in tongues didn't even know what they were saying. And so sometimes there would have to be somebody who would interpret so that was another gift, is interpreting. They got this babbling in a different language. Speaking in tongues is definitely a unique gift. And there were Corinthians that thought that people that were able to speak in tongues were somehow specially blessed by God. They were like God's favored people. And it turned out to be kind of a mockery because uh, it, was, it was more of a flashy thing and people were building themselves up. They were boasting about being able to speak in tongues. It became more of a distraction in the church than a blessing. Spiritual gifts were leading to competition rather than the edification of the church. 
God gave the gift of tongues so that people were able to preach back then and allow people of a different language to be able to understand the message. There's, there's theories about whether people speak in tongues these days or not. Oakwood is not a church where you hear people speaking in tongues. I've never heard it at Oakwood. Other churches around the area, you don't have to go very far and you'll find churches that have people speaking in tongues. What is the meaning of it? Do we need it? Do we seek it? Well, it's a, it's a difficult question because like I say, God gives people gifts to build up his church at the moment in history that it's needed. And I don't know that speaking in tongues is necessary these days because we have so many translations of the Bible. Uh, almost everywhere in the world you can go and you can have a Bible that you can understand. But there were uh, several spiritual gifts that uh, the church of Corinth was wrestling with. Which one is, is the most important? Which one is the most significant? Paul makes one thing very, very clear. He says in chapter 12, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says throughout chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 11, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Chapter 12, 12, verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 24. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together. You see where Paul is going with this. He's making it very clear. Verse 28. God has placed in the church. Paul makes it very clear. Men, women, don't boast about the gifts that you have. God has given you this. God has given you this as a special ability. This is not because you're great. Individually, every one of us is given talents and passions that God can use to build his church. Among the shown verses is Paul challenging the believers that the church is one body with many parts. Let's take a look. Uh, if you will, Mark, at um, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to go back. Is it behind me? <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'm going to read it from here. I was thinking, that's right, it would be up there. So 12 and 13. Okay, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So Paul is kind of doing a, um, a, a writing analogy. He says, okay, just as one body has many parts, many parts form one body. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So the church was diverse. Remember, Paul has an audience here with what he's writing. He's writing to the church of Corinth. He recognizes Corinth is diverse. The church wasn't terribly big at the time. What I'm reading is that the church of Corinth was not more than even 100 people, okay? But it was a diverse uh, group of people. Now, if we keep reading, uh, we're going to, we'll go on to uh, 14 through 26. It's a little bit more lengthy. 
Uh, but take a look at, this is a masterful analogy that Paul has given. We're a church, we're made up of a very diverse group of people with lots of different backgrounds and worldviews. Paul gives this analogy starting at 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. Oh, I love that one. I'm going to come back to that. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the part that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And here's a great one too. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's a beautiful model of the church. Looking at verse 23, I wanted to come back to that. Paul says, In the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. So God has given us all gifts. We're one body in the church. And some of the parts of our body are less honorable. <laughs> and what I think of, I think of, of the body analogy that Paul is giving, and I think of the feet. The feet are not honorable parts of our body, they're dirty, they're gross. Yet, our feet are essential workers. We would really miss our feet if they weren't there. And going back to what Paul is uh, representing here by the body, the church, the church needs feet. We need feet in this church. We need people that are going to get their, their feet in the dirt and we need people to go and tear a house down out in front. We need people to breathe in the drywall dust so that Pastor Ben can have a place for his youth ministry to meet. And I'm so thankful that our church has feet. And just like Paul says, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. I love the feet in Oakwood. I love it. Thank you, feet. Now, back in the days of the early church, when we talk about the early church, we're talking about about the first hundred years after Jesus went back to heaven. So in A.D. 0 through 100. That's when this letter, the letter was written in the mid-50s after uh, Jesus had, had uh, gone back to heaven. The gifts that God people, gave people back then were definitely different from what God gives now. We don't see the gift of tongues so much. We don't see the gifts of interpretation. What do we see? 
What gifts has God uniquely given you in the 2000s? 2,000 years later, the gifts look like this. Some people are very gifted with being able to cook. Some of us are very gifted at being able to teach. Some are hospitable. Others aren't. Some serve cheerfully. Some people will plow snow and they have a passion for it and they love serving by plowing snow. Some people are gifted at holding babies and loving on babies. Some people are gifted with instruments. Some support missionaries and are passionate about mission work. Some comfort and encourage. Others aren't very good at comforting and encouraging. And what does Paul say about that? That's the church. We need everybody. We need all the ears and the hands and the feet. So we all have a role in serving God. We have a role in serving our neighbor. And we have a role in building the church. And what does Paul say? We see verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophet. Now, the apostles, of course, we don't have any apostles. That role is, uh, has been taken care of, and we're not going to have any more apostles. They, were, they started the church. Second, we have prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. I will mention prophets. And if we think about, okay, well, uh, we, do, we, do we have the gift of prophecy anymore? Has God chosen to gift this day and age prophets? I would argue yes. Oakwood has a prophet itself. Oakwood's prophet is Pastor Don. We think of a prophet as one who can foresee the future. But if we look at the definition and the way the Bible uses it, it's more than just seeing the future. A prophet is known in the Bible as one who can... Uh, who can utter words from a divine inspiration or they can say things that uh, they can provide God's message. Pastor Don is our prophet. And I would encourage all of you, if you don't like the way that Pastor Don does something, I want you to come to the elder board or go directly to Pastor Don and not spread it around others in our building, in our, in our body. Pastor Don needs to be treated with special care. He is uniquely gifted. And I love Pastor Don, and I appreciate what he does, and I honor what God has given him. He's got vision to be able to lead this church, and I truly believe that he is a prophet. Okay, now let's take a look at uh, how Paul ends chapter 12. He says that, this is starting at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed in the church. It goes through what uh, roles he has appointed. But then he goes into verse 29. So are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are, are we all the same part of the body? No. He's giving a series of rhetorical questions there. We know the answer. Look at what Paul does next though. In verse 31, this is right in the end after he's gone through this whole body with many parts, and we all have a role, Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul is encouraging us to have a growth mindset. That we're gifted. We're really good at some things. We're really passionate about some things. But let's not stagnate. 
earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is not the end of verse 31. 31 has another sentence. And he's going to transition. He's going to warn us, hey, I'm not done yet. So we have, we have a church. We've got lots of parts. Everybody has a role. We should function together. We drink of the same spirit. And then Paul says, but wait a minute. Now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. So this was all good, but you need to read this too. Chapter 13. If you're using your spiritual gifts and you're ultra-talented, even using your talent in the church, if you don't use your gift in love, you're wasting, you're wasting your talent. Your gift is useless. If you don't have love, if you don't use your gift in love, don't bother, Paul says. So let's take a look. Uh, chapter 13 Verses 1 and 2, one, and th- 1 through 3, I should say. He says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. That's the end of chapter 12, chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but I have not love, I am only a, resound- a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. We use chapter 13 uh, in weddings quite often. I've been to a number of weddings. I can't remember 25 years ago if you used that one or not. But we've heard this, the love chapter. Chapter 13. And I will tell you that Paul is talking here about brotherly love. He's not talking about the intimate love within a marriage relationship. Even though it's used in weddings all the time, Paul is referring, and and Paul wrote his letters in Greek. He spoke Greek and he wrote in Greek. And the the word, that the, the love that he used there is the Greek word agape. And agape is brotherly love. It's the love that we have for one another within the body of the church. Agape love. In fact, the King James Version I didn't realize this until I was studying this. King James doesn't even use the word love in chapter 13. uh, King James uses charity. Charity is patient. Charity is kind and so on. I thought that was interesting. Now let's take a look at chapter 13 starting at verse 4. I have it up on the slide. Not in order, but all the characteristics of love that Paul gives. And I want you to look at it now with a new set of eyes. I want you to look at the list of attributes of love. What is love and what is love not with a growth mindset? Think of how you love. Think of the people around you that you love. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your family members. Maybe it's your Christian brothers and sisters. What is love? Looking at it with a growth mindset, some of us fail after the first bullet point. (laughs) Love is patient. Fail. I need to grow in that area. Patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Then he goes on to say some of the things that love is not. But he eventually comes back to love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Perfect love. What is love not? Keeping in mind also that Paul is writing this thing to an audience. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is having, having a, a problem uh, building themselves up, not building others up. And so when we think about that, we see why Paul wrote this. Love is not envious. If you envy somebody, you're not loving them. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Paul gives us the perfect model of love. We fall short. Humans fall short of perfect love. But we thank God that he's patient with us. (laughs) When we look at these attributes of love, we think of Jesus. Grow in your love. Practice loving. Even give yourself one of these attributes and practice with it. If you lack patience, then work on it. If you're a person that insists on your own way, you know who you are, hopefully. Ask the people around you if you don't. Work on it. Have a growth mindset. Become more like Jesus. Nobody's going to become Jesus, but we can get closer. We can get closer to that perfect benchmark. Love is the best tool that we have for sharing the gospel of Jesus. It's the best tool. It's true that God will dictate what talents and gifts that we have. God determines what our gifts are. So when we look at at somebody and see them sing, I see our worship band and I say, oh, they have God-given ability. I don't sing like they sing. I looked at Pastor Shrek. Look at people who are going to be playing in the Super Bowl today. Oh, they have God-given athletic talent. Oh, that math teacher is a natural. They've got God-given. They just know how to get into a mind of a person and, and give them what they need to teach them. Wow, that artist has a gift. These things are God-given. God has given each of us uniquely talent and passion. Love, however, love is not a talent. Love is not a spiritual gift that God gives some of us. Love is a choice. We choose to love. And every one of us has the same capacity to love. And I will admit, love is risky. Love requires investment. You may have had a bad experience with love. You may have taken a risk on love. And you had a bad experience. Maybe you have scars. Maybe you fear offering yourself up to love people because you've been hurt. And my argument to that would be, you still have the capacity to love And if you loved and got hurt, you didn't get hurt by love. You got hurt by sin. 
I didn't do that on purpose when I looked at my wife and said that, by the way. (laughs) My challenge to everybody is, surround yourself with people that will love you. We are called to go out and love others. So there are times that we're going to need to take a risk and go out and love people. And you may get hurt, but you're not getting hurt because of love. You're getting hurt because of sin. Keep loving. Because, Paul says, some translations will say love never fails. I think it's the NIV that says love never ends. I'll take either one. Oh, it's the NIV that says love never fails. Love never fails. And if this is in uh, chapter 8, after Paul goes through and gives what that model of perfect love is, he says, love never fails. And he goes on, and he's still on the Corinthians about boasting about their spiritual gifts. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. You might have the gift of prophecy, but it's going to end. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. (laughs) Paul tells us the love never fails. The Christian life started with God's word and with God's love. Romans 5.8 tells us, God showed his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's an example of somebody who loved and got hurt. Christ didn't get hurt because we loved him back, did he? But he still loves And I would contend that the church will only go on if we show love to the world. Our talents and the gifts that we have, the music that we play, the art that we put out on social media, it may be there and helpful and effective at getting people's attention, but it's love that changes lives. That is the most excellent way. Band, Uh, if we could have the uh, band come back up here. I would just ask everybody in closing, where is it that you can grow? I have three areas uh, from this that I would just challenge you with. Know your role in the body. What are you good at? Are you using it to build up the church? Can you use it to build up others? I give a list of things. People are good at cooking. People are good at holding babies. People are good at hospitality. Are you using your gift to build others up? It says here, know your role in the body. This is our our, our church community. But at the same time, we walk out of here and we go into the mission field. You're still part of the body. And we still have an obligation to use our gifts out there. Don't just limit what you're doing to within the confines of the Oakwood uh, uh, body. Let's make sure that we're, we're sharing God's love in the world. Practice and pursue love above all else. Take one of those uh, attributes of love that Paul gives and see if you can improve and build on it. And you'll become closer to that model that Jesus gave us. And finally, finally sorry, earnestly pursue the higher gifts. As Paul suggested to us, we're good at some things, but keep your eyes open and stay close to God. Stay in the word and see what he does. You may get a spiritual promotion. You might not, but earnestly pursue it.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to get into your word and to see what you have for us. I pray, God, that we'll walk out of here thinking about the power of yet. Thinking about how we have certain things that we're good at, but Lord, help us to look at what we yet can do. Go with us, God. Keep us safe today. And we thank you in Jesus' name for this time. Amen.